Hey y'all, welcome to the Appalachian Overlook, a metaphorical ride up these winding mountain roads where we'll explore topics and questions about what it means to live a good life in Appalachia. My name is Sarah Saavedra and I'll be your host in these conversations, airing here on 90.7 WEHC, the voice of Southwest Virginia, and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, folks, it's a new year, so on this episode, we'll take a look at why we put so much pressure on ourselves every single new year, right, with resolutions and all of that kind of stuff, and explore some alternatives maybe to those new year resolutions and also some strategies. If you've got some goals and some resolutions you've made and you want to keep them, there are some tips and tricks here, some science to back you up. So thanks for joining me on this episode of the Appalachian Overlook. Let's dig in. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining me today. We're talking about New Year's resolutions. But do you ever feel like so much of what we do is because we've always done it? You know what I mean? Well, apparently the tradition of setting resolutions in the new year started a long time ago. With the ancient Babylonians over 4,000 years ago, to be precise, Their resolutions were mostly promises to their gods to repay their debts and return farm equipment that they had borrowed, along with affirming their loyalty to the reigning king, right, in hopes that they would stay in God's favor. So you can see here uh, that this is a long-standing tradition, something that we've been doing as human beings for quite a bit of time. In the 1700s, the practice became popularized to Protestants. And here we are, right? According to history.com, as many as 45% of Americans claim to make New Year's resolutions, but only 8% are successful in achieving their goals. Now, those numbers are, you know, kind of squishy. I read uh, over 80% uh, make New Year's resolutions and 40% are, you know, successful in accomplishing their goals. Whatever those numbers are, we all know that we have a New Year's resolution, we try to start it. Sometimes we're successful, but a lot of times we're not. Have we ever really been good at keeping our resolutions or meeting our goals, right? In researching for today's episode, I found a record of resolutions from a Gallup poll that was conducted in 1947. And I thought it was really interesting to compare, you know, almost 100 years ago, just a little less than 80 years ago, what kind of resolution folks were making as compared to what folks are making now. Not much has changed, right? So along with their standard resolutions like quit smoking, lose weight, drink less, save more money, the, they also had uh, these goals of improve my disposition, be more understanding, control my temper. Number two, improve my character, live a better life. Three, take better care of my health. Four, take a greater part in home life, right? So pretty similar, even almost a century later to resolutions we're making in 2022. So why is it so hard to follow through with these things? Why are we making the same resolutions we've been making for so long? Well, uh, let's start with the strong start, right? A lot of times we, we start really strong uh, in the new year. The allure of a fresh start you know, to shedding old habits and becoming a new person is powerful. The chemicals in our brain kick in and start out high, right? When we set out to accomplish our resolutions, we're flooded with dopamine and we are pumped. But that motivation isn't an endless supply. And eventually, 
February, March, right? It's not enough. According to James Clear, who's the author of Atomic Habits, motivation is what we get as a result of taking action and not the cause of action, right? A lot of us think of motivation as the thing that gets us to do something, but instead motivation is what we get after we do something. How many times have you said to yourself, why can't I motivate myself? Why can't I be motivated to do this? Well, because the start is always the biggest obstacle because that's when we face the most internal resistance to new behavior. But we all get to a point when the pain of not doing something becomes greater than the pain of doing it, right? So I'm going to repeat that. We all get to a point when the pain of not doing something becomes greater than the pain of doing it. So that's motivation. If motivation is the result of action, how do we get started? Well, I'm going to tell you how. Okay, so the key to getting motivated is to make it easy to start. So after you get started, momentum builds on itself and you'll feel less resistance. So the key is starting to get to that momentum, right? We've talked before about preloading your decision based on a book that I just love, How to Change When Change is Hard, which basically means schedule your motivation, right? When you fail to plan, you plan to fail. That's an old, you know, uh, cliche that we hear all the time, but you'll likely also find yourself stuck in a cycle of self-criticism and negativity, right? When you don't make a plan and you fail, that's when we start all of that negative self-talk and, oh, how come I can't do this? I'm just worthless, you know, all of those things. So let's not get stuck there. Here's the thing. Our brains want decisions to be on autopilot. We waste energy and deplete our capacity to make change when we are trying to decide when and where to do the work, right? That's when it becomes easy to procrastinate, becomes easy to talk yourself out of it. Put your decision making on autopilot by giving your goals a time and a place to live, okay? No motivation or willpower needed when you set a schedule instead of waiting for inspiration to strike, right? So many of us are waiting to feel motivated or waiting to feel uh, inspired to do this thing, this big thing that we we might want to change or this new habit we want to implement or a old habit we want to break. But the truth is, is that inspiration and motivation are results of action. And so go ahead and schedule the action and the motivation and the inspiration is what will follow. And if you want to level up from merely scheduling your new habit, right? We we said we need a plan for it. We need to schedule it. We need to have a time and a place for it to live. But even more than just scheduling it, set a ritual, right? Think of a ritual like a pregame routine. It gets you mentally prepared to follow through and it habitualizes the action. It makes it automatic and one less thing to think about, right? We talk a lot about decision fatigue and making decisions and how taxing it is for us. And so making these things automatic and something that you just don't even have to think about is the key here. In the book, Daily Rituals, How Artists Work by Mason Kirby, we realize the world's greatest artists follow a consistent schedule instead of waiting for inspiration to strike. There's some great examples here. 
in a world where we think, you know, that artists are just always artistic and creative folks are always creative, we realize that they're not waiting for inspiration to strike, right? The professionals who are really creating and making huge impacts with art actually have a routine and a scheduled ritual um, to get their creativity and, and their work done. For example, Maya Angelou would retreat to a hotel room to write from 6.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. She wouldn't sleep there. She just rented a hotel room. That was her ritual to be in this room and write from 6.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. Haruki Murakami, a Japanese author, wakes up at 4 a.m., writes for five hours, and then goes for a run. Beethoven started each day with a morning walk and a notebook to take notes as ideas popped into his head, right? So if even those geniuses, <laughs> you know, have to uh, create a schedule, plan their inspiration, plan their motivation, plan the activity that they want to do, I think we could take some tips from them also. So tips for scheduling your motivation and creating a ritual or routine. So first, let's select the environment. Basically, find a space that signals it's time to work. A space to start your routine, right? That signals uh, and leads into the action. For Maya Angelou, that was renting a hotel room. That was her space. Uh, for Beethoven, it was a morning walk, wherever that walk was. For me, it's on the couch with a cup of coffee, a journal, and a book or a meditation, right? If I even back it up a little further, my routine is actually getting out of bed, putting on my clothes for the day, brushing my teeth, washing my face, and then I head out to the couch, right? With my cup of coffee, a journal, um, and I either read or I meditate. I finish that ritual and my day starts with the workout, which I predetermined on Sunday what it's going to be, whether it's a run outside, depending on the weather or going to the gym or doing yoga at home, whatever it is, I've already decided on Sunday, I make those plans. So that is kind of my ritual, right? And protect it, protect your time. So that means don't schedule a doctor's appointment or a meeting that interferes with your routine, right? If your routine is, you know, like some of those we just mentioned, where you wake up at 4am and uh, write for five hours, that means you should not be making any appointments at 8am, right? Because you're writing until 9am. So just don't do it. Maybe you need to get chores done on Sundays or in evenings to protect your, your daytime, you know, your time where you have a ritual, but whatever you do, protect that time, plan the time and then protect it. We want to make this routine and this ritual so easy that we can't say no to it, right? So put distractions away also, like this is part of protecting your time. I really feel like it could be your cat or it could be your kids, right? My cat is just really annoying when I'm trying to meditate or to journal. She either wants to eat the ribbon off of my journal or, you know, play with me in the morning. So uh, maybe I need to put her up, you know, and put her away. I do. <laughs> or maybe it's your kids, right? Like whatever your ritual is, make sure that you've got your distractions put away. But let's be honest, you know, it for me, it's my cat. It's also my phone. And for most of us, it probably is also turn off those notifications, put your phone in a different room, hold sacred that ritual and that routine so that those distractions don't interrupt you and cause you to stop. 
Okay, make it easy. The goal here is to stop wondering about what to do next so that you have more energy at your disposal to direct towards your goals. Okay, it's really less about motivation to get started and more about creating it a routine, a ritual, a schedule, whatever you want to call it, a plan so that it's too easy to say no to. It is just already predetermined, preloaded, and you just can't say no because it's how you do things. It becomes automatic and habitual. All right, folks, it's time now for a music break. I am going to play you some Lord Huron. Um, I just love this band. It's just the music for me is very optimistic. It's positive. They use a lot of storytelling and it's just sort of chill. It's relaxing for me. It's on my indie kind of vibe playlist um, for when I'm working. So let's take a listen to their song. This is Lord Huron, Fool for Love.
heard Lord Huron. That was their song, Fool for Love. You are listening to the Appalachian Overlook here on 90.7 WEHC, the voice of Southwest Virginia. Or perhaps you're listening as a podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I'm Sarah Spadra. I'm your host on this show. And we are talking today about New Year's resolutions and really general goal setting. I mean, it's a good time of year to talk about it. But of course, goals are something that pop up all the time in our minds and it doesn't have to be a new year to do it. So this is applicable to any of those goals as well. So we have this pregame routine that we talked about, right, which serves as a reminder, a trigger uh, to kickstart the habit, right? Even when motivation is nowhere to be found, we've got a plan, we've got a schedule, we've got a routine that signals it's time to go into whatever action we're looking for. Um, This is also extremely important, not just in building a new habit, but breaking old habits, right? We have those routines and those rituals every time we have a bad habit, um, you know, that just kickstarts us into that trigger or whatever to do the action. And even when the action is a negative one. So for example, a lot of folks talk about when they quit smoking, you know, that they were so used to lighting up a cigarette when they got into the car. And so driving can be hard for them. Or every time after they finished a meal, they would go outside and, and light up a cigarette. And so in, in order to create new routines, we also have to replace old routines. For me, in early sobriety, changing my routines was crucial to success, right? So instead of pouring myself a glass of wine the second I got home, right, 5.15 p.m. every night or whatever time it was, um, instead of that being the ritual every time I got home, I had to develop a new one, right? So um, instead, I cracked open a can of seltzer water and started dinner, right? I had a plan of what I was going to do when I got home so that that old routine and that old ritual wasn't the thing that I just automatically did, right? And it feels weird. It feels weird to start a new routine in place of an old one that you've just been doing without thinking about it. So the tip here is to really analyze where does your routine start? Where does that ritual start? It may be even the anticipation um, before you're getting off of work or, you know, whatever this bad habit is, maybe it's the anticipation when you get in a car, like we mentioned with folks who were trying to quit smoking, who always had a cigarette uh, while they were driving. So finding something to replace it, a different routine and a ritual that feels good to you is super important here. Some nights, you know, look different, but I prioritized the plan and the routine, even if it started a little later or involved adding an extra activity, right? Kids or meetings or late work nights, whatever. I also turned my phone off from 6 to 9 p.m. so that I could be present in the moment. I focused on a bedtime ritual for myself to wind down instead of that glass of wine, right? So it may not be as simple as just adding one thing to replace another thing. It may be a whole set and a whole series of things that you didn't even realize were part of your routine. 
And to break that old habit, you have to replace all of them. So really take some time to think here because this is what's going to set you up for success. Ultimately, right, life is a constant balance between giving in to the ease, right, of distraction or old routines and overcoming the discomfort of starting and developing a new routine or a new discipline. But to quote James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits we mentioned earlier, what is life if not the sum of a hundred thousand daily battles and tiny decisions to either gut it out or give it up? All right. So let's, we talked about some strategies, you know, to implement new routines, to find a way to schedule your new habits, this new goals that you might want, but let's talk a little bit about common mistakes. Let's back up here to the very beginning and setting goals for ourselves. Well, making resolutions uh, that are too challenging, that are too big, too ominous. We talked about this a little bit um, in our to-do list uh, episode and, you know, the strategies for making good to-do lists. It, it applies here as well. So the trick here is to find the border of your abilities where you feel challenged but capable, right? It's little Goldilocks here, not too hard, not too soft. Psychologist Gilbert Brim says, one of the most important sources of human happiness is working on tasks at suitable level of difficulty, neither too hard nor too easy. Okay. The research here says that this sweet spot is identifiable by the ability to measure your immediate progress. So in other words, we need to be able to see our wins, right? This may not be measured in number values, but identifying small improvements is crucial to gaining that momentum, right? The start is the hardest, and then we need to get, be able to get momentum, right? So we need to be able to see those small wins, those small victories, the small accomplishments so that they build on each other and that momentum keeps propelling us forward to continue with our plan, to continue with our new routines, our rituals, and our schedule. So instead of a big goal, right, of I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year and, you know, which will lead to feeling defeated every time you step on a scale, right? Even if you lost a pound, it's so far away from 30 pounds, okay? Try smaller goals towards health that are framed positively, right? Some of those negative goals that we give ourselves for New Year's resolutions are just framed and ready for disaster. They're just ready for us to fail at them. So instead, uh, let's have smart things that are easily attainable. They might be a little challenging, but they're right on that line. So maybe instead of losing 30 pounds this year, let's say we're going to eat veggies with every meal, right? We're going to eat a fruit or vegetable with every meal, you know, instead of, you know, some prescription of a six week boot camp or, you know, some really hard thing to do every single day, maybe the goal is move our body every day, right? And it could be small, but it builds on itself. And that momentum will keep you going if you have those small victories, right? Ultimately, take it one day at a time. Life comes in always, it screws up the best laid plans that we have for ourselves, no matter how good our schedule is, no matter how uh, good our plan is, we've done all of the work and then life happens. Okay. But you have a plan and a routine. So when life happens, get back to it and start fresh without beating yourself up. Okay. It happens to everyone. Um, 
and it's just not something that is a reflection on yourself. Okay. So if you have an interruption, maybe it's a sick kid, maybe it's a snow day, maybe it's, you know, a million things can throw a wrench in our plans and our routine and leave us feeling really defeated. But instead, if we take it one day at a time, get back to the routine and ritual whenever you can and get back to your schedule. That's all we can do. I have a whole bunch more I'd love to say about that, but we are running out of time and I want to give you folks some alternatives to New Year's resolutions, okay? Like I promised. I have spent a lot of time promising myself I'd do better at something or meet a specific goal like running X number of miles per week every year as, you know, sort of new New Year's resolutions. Sometimes I've reached those goals and sometimes I haven't. But at some point, I realized that my tendency to overachieve and overfunction left me burnt out and frazzled despite what accomplishment I could check off that list, right? I wasn't fully present for these moments. I was instead hurrying through the tasks without much change in the overall quality of my life, okay? So if the goal is to unlock more joy and ease in our lives, right, if that's the goal of these resolutions, I was meeting my resolution, but falling very short of that goal. So I adopted a different strategy, okay? So this is all about if it's not working, change it. I still have goals of things to accomplish in the new year. I employ the strategies we just covered, but they serve a bigger purpose. Instead of narrowly focusing on the big task, right, quote unquote, I find a word, an intention for myself, sort of a mantra. This practice helps me to stay in the moment, to be present for what is instead of striving for perfection. Okay. So it's a little squishy. So if you need something more concrete, definitely go for that. Only you know what serves you and leads you to more. But the goal here isn't just self-improvement, right? But authenticity, joy, and a life well-lived. My word this year is connection. Okay. To start the year off, I'm focusing on connection with self making the habit of checking in with myself, sitting with discomfort, getting curious about where triggers and insecurities, stressors, self-sabotage, all of those things are living, connecting with myself. And I need to develop rituals that support this connection, right? As the year progresses, big decisions and challenges will be analyzed through the lens of connection with self and others. The question becomes, does this foster connection or create disconnection with self or others? Okay, so that's how I use this word. Um, And then, you know, based on that word and those questions I can ask myself, I can create actionable goals once I have my answer. So that's kind of how I apply that. Other alternatives to New Year's resolutions? Make a new goal every month, short-term realistic goals, right? Maybe it's dry January or pack your lunch every day uh, in February. You get the idea. Make a bucket list. Maybe it's just instead of resolutions of things to change about yourself, it's things to do that you've wanted to do. Take a cooking class, go kayaking, take a dance class, try a new food, you name it, make a bucket list. Uh, Another great one I, I think we should all do is gratitude right? Why not start the new year off with a list of everything you're grateful for? Write down one thing every day. Write down a list of things from last year to be thankful for. Maybe our best bet is to be present in the moment, right? Taking a minute to develop gratitude in the place of striving, trying to change ourselves, catastrophizing the moment, 
a practice of gratitude can help cut down on depression and anxiety. We know the science here, right? Those two things are the biggest deterrents to moving forward with any goal. So let's be present, be kind to ourselves, and find ways that work for us. That's all I've got for you today, folks, on this episode of the Appalachian Overlook. I hope you'll join me next week. Thanks for listening.